0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24 7 sports, no, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casazzo.
1: And I'm Chris Anderson.
0: Yeah, I probably should let you take care of that one. <laughs> At least I'll still be employed because I got the identification right, so they can't can me be because I started over. Anyhow, Chris, we enter an open week, either at the best or worst possible time for West Virginia. I don't know. It can't be bad. They can't lose this week, so that's good. Can't win, though, so they're going to have this three-game losing streak hanging above their head for a while. And and then who knows what goes on behind closed doors. We do know that at Sunday and again today to kind of cool off a little bit, they'll come back Monday and – Start meeting and practicing and I guess try to turn this barge around a little bit. But in the meantime, we fill the space with a lot of questions from us, from subscribers, from however many fans watch the game on Saturday or plan to watch on Saturday next week or come to the stadium and the one that follows. And that's why we're here. Um, I don't have a lot of grand intros. Um, I'll give you a second here because we did talk 40 minutes after the game on Saturday. It's Monday morning. Any new revelations? Any new thoughts about the state of affairs, whether it's a loss or three losses in a row or four losses in six games in Neil Brown's third season?
1: I think it, it it says something to the fact that I don't have anything new because it is, as we've been saying, since you know the loss to Maryland in the season opener, it's the same. It's the same people. It's the same mistakes um and and it's turning into bad results and so i don't think anything's changed i do think you know this was obviously a little bit different because i think effort was effort has been there in the past um but effort was definitively not there in waco Um, but that was obvious from the get-go we talked about at the post game so that hasn't changed um i'm just Still very interested to see what happens in the next few days because, as Neil Brown said, they were going to take 48 hours after that game to kind of just get away. Everybody was, staff, players. Um, so no changes or anything yet. We haven't heard of anybody at Transfer Portal. We haven't heard of any changes, any you know depth chart, nothing like that. None of that's going to happen for a few more days. So nothing's changed in my opinion right now.
0: Yeah, I um I listened to the post game interviews of Brown and the players, and it's Dante Stills, and then a joint press conference with Sam James and Winston Wright. So you can tell that they're they're very happy to be doing this. They're going in as as a tandem to do it. So and again, it's hard for players to drag themselves out there after that. I get that. Um, but two things. Um, one, kudos to the audio people for not feeding the questions into the audio. Just have random answers hey you can't ask softball questions if you can't hear the questions right so at least no one's accusing me <laughs> of throwing uh softballs in the direction of neil brown who i'm known to certainly tee up with the softball questions as are all the reporters around here but frustration was evident with brown like like upset about things and i'll get to one in a minute but you can tell like it's a uh, man it wears on that's for sure still had his regular decor or whatever but the I think everything you're just talking about there, and it seemed like again the effort, and then what what peaked what peaked last week, um, peak isn't the right word. What appeared last week against Texas Tech peaked against Baylor. What I mean by that is the stuff that West Virginia hadn't been, it was becoming against Texas Tech, and maybe they they righted it and got back in that game and could have would have should have won. Um, it it kind of deteriorated in the Baylor game. So some bad habits that maybe appeared first really kind of took over against Baylor. And then again, players, too. Again, I don't know the questions they were being asked because the audio wasn't there, but I could hear their answers. And a lot of them talked about effort. And I think that you had made that critique after the game about uh, on a number of plays, there were people who just didn't seem like they were invested in the outcome of that play, never mind the game. And, and that that leads into some other teams like chasing down the or, uh, some other like chasing down the ball, not being around bad at balls, not being able to make a block that can spring a guy on a play. It's offense, it's defense, it's even special teams, but when you hear players talk about how the effort isn't there, and that's kinda of hard for them to comprehend. And it's coming from some of your more established players. Stills, James, and Wright are three of the older and, and more accomplished players in the team. Um and they kind of get this whole thing about, well, this game is over, we can't let it affect the next game. And wonder about that. And I understand like you can't let this one eat you up and you can't let a game beat you twice, whatever, but they are kind of getting beat by the same game again and again and again, and that that attitude of well it, it happened, let's just start you know season two against TCU, let's try to go six and zero, five and one, four and two, whatever. I get that, but I wonder if you do just put this one on the shelf and forget about it. It's going to be right next to a couple more like it, and you wonder if you're not doing the same thing, if you're not opening that garage door two weeks from now and throwing another box up there that looks a whole lot like the other ones that has the contents that are a whole lot like the other ones um i say they don't care i just wonder if like when you hear talk about energy effort and you know, urgency you kind of
1: want these that to matter a little bit so you're not repeating the outcomes i'm with you i think the how you approach and how you uh, whether or not you keep this game in your mind, it depends on how they come out in the next couple of weeks. I mean, if they come out with the same players in the same scheme, then this last game is going to weigh heavy on what's going on. Um, if they come out with new starters, a new scheme, a new approach, playing younger guys, playing different guys, then it's obvious that they've, they've you know, you've come to a, a, an inflection point in the season where you're, you're flipping the switch and you're going, we're trying something new. We're playing for the future. Let's see what happens. Um, and if you do that, I don't think that this game weighs on the outcomes or weighs on the players or weighs on the fans, even as much as if you just trot out the same players, same scheme, same style.
0: Yeah. It's not so much one game, for example, bad start against Texas tech. Well, that hadn't happened before. Let's put that on the shelf. It happens. Move on. Don't let it consume you. Well, bad start against Baylor. So maybe you should go into that Texas tech box and look, poke around a little bit, um, and maybe you shouldn't stash that Baylor box up there. Maybe you should try to learn something from that. But similarly, too, the the plays, the personnel, the philosophies, whatever you want for the first six games, four times it hasn't worked. Darn near five times it hasn't worked. I wonder if you just kind of you know continually do that things, or if you pay some t- attention to it too. Um, I want to uh, apologize to McLean Stadium and the clock operators. Now they don't listen, I don't think, and they <laughs> never heard. I never heard from them or got a direct message or anything like that. But I did say after the game that I had remembered reading and then i heard on the broadcast that there were some issues with the clock when Iowa State played at Baylor. And then perhaps that had something to do with West Virginia taking a timeout before taking a delay a game before the first snap. Chris, it turns out that West Virginia is probably just that bad at that. Um, the rule And some people have have twisted this up. Um, You don't spot the ball after a touchback and run the clock. As soon as that whistle blows on a touchback, you start a 40-second clock. That's a three- or four-year-old rule now. Um, That's a new rule. Just kind of expedite the time in between plays because typically you have a touchback. You know, you might have a commercial or you might have this or that or whatever. But when that whistle blows to shorten the time and to kind of cut into the runtime of games, 40 seconds from the whistle blowing on the touchback to start and play. I went back, I watched it. It's like 42 seconds. So the officials got that one right. Brown said he didn't think it was good officiating. I'm not sure what he meant there. I wasn't there. Can't press him on it. Don't think I'm going to press him on that today or tomorrow. I don't know why. (laughs) I have a feeling that he's going to see red when it comes to clock management questions. He wasn't. Like, that's one thing, too. You could tell he was really mad about that. And I would imagine in the moment, he had to have been like, oh, no, I can't believe I got to burn a timeout before we even run a play. Not only because that's bad, but because of what happened during the week, but I do think the officials got that right. It went back watched it it's it's like forty two forty three seconds, which means it wasn't even like an immediate thing like they gave it a second. It wasn't that they started it right on time or even early they they just did like a normal job as the uh the clock operator and the officials winding that clock um West Virginia just wasn't very organized coming out of the field. It looks like
1: that's not a good look. <laughs> No, it's just not. I mean, I mean, it wasn't a good look it at the time, but at least you had the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. The, you could say that it was a ref issue, a time issue, a uh, clock operator issue, and then it's just not. And it's just the team not being ready on the very first play, um, just as as fans had feared. So, not a, not a good look right there. It's possible that the clock visibly didn't work,
0: or that right. the clock. Wasn't queued up with what the official said, but like they still called a timeout, which means they saw it going towards zero. Um, or you know, so like I would imagine that was connected. My, my guess again is that they thought they had a lot more time, they thought the clock started too soon or something like that. But going by the rule, and I posted this on our board, um, going by the rule, and you can watch the video. Um, it does link up, looks like the officials got that right. But anyhow, um, listen, we have a lot of time to fill between games, uh, we'll probably be talking a few times between now and then. I don't have a lot more to say about this, and I'm sure we're going to use the time in between games now to flesh out what's happened the first part of the season and, of course, what happens the next half. What do you say, Chris? We just get right to the question. Subscribers ask, we answer. What we don't get to today, you get to in a written format. Take it away.
1: Uh, let's let's get started with something semi-related to that. Um, it's from and Bacon. I'm going to kind of adjust his question a little bit. If he asks, um, what is more worrisome to you the fact that the team has come out flat two games in a row with no sign of emotion or effort or the fact that this team is awful at, at well he says at awful at everything coach brown was apparently good at i'm talking about things like stupid penalties awful to usage being prepared every game etc which which is more concerning the effort part of this or the mental mistakes like I, I think the effort
0: because they got they got blown out on Saturday and one thing i said before is that for whatever this team doesn't do well doesn't do it all doesn't do properly they play hard and they're in games and they overcome some of their shortcomings by just trying hard and even i mean they've really only been beaten badly a, a small number of times and one's Oklahoma, one's Missouri, and that's that's first year stuff. And and you know the games that got even the games that got away from in the first year they were in into the third quarter. You know even the the Texas Tech game a couple years ago, they got somewhat back into that game and made it interesting. They played hard, they tried hard. Uh, that didn't happen Saturday, and I wonder if that's an extension of not starting well, and then at different times in the past not finishing well. It just seems like that the different pieces were floating around, and then like they finally came together to give you a picture of maybe what is an issue here is that they just don't have the consistency from – never mind 1 to 85. They don't have 85 scholarship players, but 1 to they, – they had 69 players in their travel roster Saturday, so 1 to 69. They just don't have a the consistency there, and, and we could probably extend it to coaches too because I know that you can put it on players not being ready to play, but being prepared is is by and large a coaching thing. When you practice Tuesday and Wednesday and you have a mental day Thursday and then you run again on Friday, you, you got four days to get yourself ready to go. When you play like you did at home against Texas Tech, following you know, a seemingly inspiring performance against Oklahoma, that's bad. And when you follow that with a road trip where you really know you got to be on top of things, especially early And you know that the other team is pretty consistent. We mentioned there are score by quarter splits, that your thing is that you score in the first quarter, but you're not great in the second half. You know, start well so you at least are in the game and you get a chance to change that story a little bit in the second half. You know, be who you are in the first half and then be who you haven't been in the second half. That should be motivation for this team. Start well so you can finish well. Get a win on the road where you can't. You know, at this point, you have to steal some wins you're not supposed to get. And they had no chance at that. I mean, maybe they did when it was 3rd and 11 on that second drive, and they turned into 3rd and six, then 4th and 1, and then a the touchdown for Baylor. But that was pretty fleeting. So um, some of the issues are are more longstanding in this question that you asked. So maybe I'm numb to them a little bit. But again, they had played hard, and they were really hard to blow out because they stayed in games. And I just, you just don't see that right now. And um, even the positions, and and specifically that were – working really hard to make an impact, um, just just don't have that right now. Is that six games in a row? Is that the accumulation of snaps? Is that a little bit of just human nature where you see the season turning and you know individually you can't do that, but then four or five individuals realize they can't do that, and then that kind of combines into a, a big, bad ball of trouble? Um, it could be some of that too.
1: I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I think it's the other one. I think I think it's the the mental mistakes, the other issues – um the effort stuff as you noted we haven't seen that before this is pretty new uh it's not something that neil brown's team has been known for it's not something west virginia has been known for so in my eyes i think it was i don't want to say we can chalk it up as oh it just happens once in a while like that was a one game thing i mean it might end up being a two or three game thing but it is something that can change with a win with a big play with personnel changes, whatever, have you, or just some time off, like you would get in this bye week. However, the other issues, the constant time management problems, the stupid penalties, the, all that stuff and keeping these, these, these close games and making big mistakes in close games. That's been happening for three years. It's been happening for three years. It's been happening in wins in losses after wins after losses with certain players with other players it doesn't seem to matter and i think that's the most concerning part to me is that 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 is going to be um that is going to be a thing that that sticks and if it sticks then it's not you know it's not going to go away and and that would be more concerning to me than maybe maybe a one or two game issue with effort these aren't good issues to have though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no we can agree effort, on that part. Effort, effort and mental mistakes are your biggest problems that's not great that's yeah, not, and, and and those aren't even the things that the coaching staff is talking about being a problem they talk so the fans and you and I are noticing effort and mental mistakes and the coaching staff is talking about depth and injuries and health and all this other stuff this is a lot of issues to be having all at once
0: yeah i had no idea they were as beat up as they apparently are
1: apparently we'll see
0: but I get a lot of snaps, six games in a row. I feel bad for Oklahoma, nine games before a bye week, but they have a lot of win in their sales now because of that comeback. So, um, yeah, uh, different answers. I think both good answers, and and certainly kind of really shine some light on what is and isn't happening right now. The the repeated appearance of the mistakes is is concerning. Again, maybe I'm numb to that, but like I was just surprised that the things that you you maybe took for granted, but you knew that they were going to have, they have not had lately.
1: Um, this question related to the effort again from Schmalzo eight wvu um i've heard multiple people reference that coming out flat is on the players coach brown dale wolfley to name a couple how much of that falls on the coaches and i don't know if we can get into percentages here but uh, like is it mostly on the players is it It, it's it's mostly on the players in the
0: sense that like the, the coach can't throw the touchdown pass and the coach can't block the field goal and things like that so yeah um uh that's That's a little bit of buck passing, if you ask me, um, because the coaches prep the players during the week, and the coaches put the right players in the field who can start games right. Um, Listen, players, yeah, I get that. They have to do it. That's pretty obvious. Um, I would say it's much closer to to even. I mean, that's the best it could be is even. Um, But the coaches have certainly something to do with this, because, I mean, how how can you not be ready for homecoming uh, after the Oklahoma game, 3.30? Daryl Tally, I mean, I mean, a lot of people were ready to see West Virginia come out and blow Texas Tech's doors off because that should have been an angry team, a motivated team that had talked big after the game. about uh, we'll see them, not just in news conferences, but on Twitter, like, "Hey, we'll see them again." Um, how do you, how do you come out so flat against a team that was embarrassed the week before, gave up seventy points, was without six starters, traveled across the country, and and really ran up and down the field on you in the first half and how can you not be ready for that that's players sure I guess but man coaches gotta be on top of that I think coaches would tell you that um and then similarly you go on the road and I don't think that they were tricked by anything I think if you read some of the post game stuff from Baylor and you listen to some of the stuff from West Virginia it was it was pretty much like what we saw is is what we thought um what we got is what we expected that's on both sides and one team was just better at it. And then, you know, when it's it's 21-7 in the first quarter, Chris, that's that's indicative of um, you you just don't have the right ingredients there at the start. And then, listen, some of that is the ingredients, but some of that is who puts the ingredients in the shopping cart too. So, to me, um, it's 50-50. Uh, maybe it leans a little bit one way or the other, but it's it's not it's not 90-10 players, coaches.
1: I'm with you on the 50-50 thing. I, I think an interesting question that that can be asked tomorrow during Neil Brown's press conference. Is did he see this coming? Because he was asked this uh, last week for the Texas Tech game, and he was stunned about the lack of effort to start the game. He said that Tuesdays and Wednesdays practices are usually indicative of what's to come, and he said that they were great practices. And so he was just completely stunned by the fact that the team did not was not ready for the start of the game. So the fact that they were not only not ready for the start of the game, but the entirety of the game on Saturday, I'm wondering if that was um on full display that if you could have predicted that was coming based off of how they were looking on tuesday how they were looking on wednesday um and i say it might be a good question because if if he already saw it coming i think that might be indicative of a bigger problem that that it is trending it is rolling in the wrong direction kind of snowballing and something needs to be changed so i'm curious if he saw the poor start coming because we've heard you know, Bob Huggins loves to do that with games. that after the game, if he's asked about it, and he says he he knew it was coming because whether it was win or loss, if his team played poorly, he knew it was coming because they had bad practices leading up to it. And I can't imagine football is any different. Yep, I agree. Um, speaking of changes, what kind? This is from Cole, eighteen sixty-seven. Chris and Mike, put on your coaching hats. You are scrapping the current offensive philosophy. What kind of offense do you install over the next two weeks to maximize the abilities of our roster and which players do you utilize to execute your new offense and why?
0: This is a hard question. It's a good question. I think it's ultimately one people want answered, but there's just, there's a lot behind the curtain we don't know about. So I'm just assuming that their offensive line has no depth. If they can't get deeper than two guys on there, it might not be good and if those guys are playing like let's just say Brandon Yates for example has been all right has not been a stalwart by any chance but they cannot run outside zone and and that's a that's a tackle thing you know and and Parker Moore only played as much as he did last game because Wyatt Milam wasn't healthy enough to play and by the way that was an obscure explanation by Neil Brown that he didn't want to play Wyatt Milam, who could have played but thought it would hurt his confidence you catch that yeah i did so he basically said, like, Milam wasn't 100%. He was 75-80, but I didn't want to play him because I thought it would hurt his confidence. Um, I don't know that they win the game because why Milam plays, but Milam got zero snaps against a good defensive line. Parker Moore had a heck of a time. I mean, even Brown singled out the right side of their offensive line, just lost one-on-ones over and over and over. But I do think that's a, a situation that you can understand where, like, listen, putting Milam out there isn't going to make Milam better. Or would it? And then if Milam stinks, and I'm not sure what his injury is, but if, if, if his mental is hurt as well as his physical, then you might lose him for a while this season, too. He might not develop at the pace. And Browns has said, this is a long-term plan. We're going to have him here many seasons, many starts in a row. Today wasn't the day for him. But their right side got sieged. That's Parker Moore tackle. Their left side has um, Gates at left tackle. And they can't run outside zone. Now, granted, your guards and your center have to do a little bit of an outside zone, More your guards and centers, but like they can't run outside zone because they're tackles. Um, they don't do any gap stuff, really. I don't know if that's because that's not what Brown and or Jared Parker wants to do, but it might also be because their guard guarding their center can't execute it. So I don't know what they can do on, on that except run inside zone, which as you noted, Baylor took away this, by the way, they'll align their two middle guys in their front. So that's one thing too. Um, they're, they're not going to put in like anything different. They're not going to run, run and shoot as opposed to an air raid. They're not going to, they're not going to go wishbone things like that. So it's got to be within the structure, but I just, I, I don't know exactly what the specific fears and limitations are, why younger players aren't playing more or whatever, but I would just kind of go back to what we had talked about before and a little bit of what we saw from Baylor. I would I would just narrow it down to a couple of things you're good at right now. Um, I would not be adding. I'm not sure this team is good at what it does, so I don't know how you can say that this team is going to be good at what it doesn't do. So what I mean by that is if this team isn't good at you know outside zone, inside zone, and, and some simple passing concepts – why would you add to it and make and learn new stuff? Because that's not going to help your confidence right now. So these two weeks, I would think you you throw out X percentage of what you're doing and and maybe specifically not doing well. You keep what works and what isn't a complete lost cause, and, and you cut your plays down. I don't know some arbitrary percentage, 33%, 50%, whatever. And then you just do the window dressing. You do you know you do your formations. You run one play in three different looks with two different personnel packages you're shifting emotion before this time. This is all stuff we talked about. I think that's probably a, a boring explanation, but to expect them to put in some some high-octane offense or to run with tempo or no huddle, it's just not them. They're going to hurry up and punt, I think, if you go like a, a tempo offense. If you start just doing new stuff, I think you invite a margin for error that, one, already exists. and shouldn't widen, but you would do that. Um, now, who would I focus on? That's a good question. I would be probably rolling offensive linemen a lot more than they are. Save maybe Zach Frazier's because that center position is so specific. But listen, let's see what Jaquay Hubbard has. Is he worse right now than Brandon Yates? Maybe, but by how much? Milam and Moore, Milam's injury, That's I get that. That's going to be different. But left guard, right guard, let's see. Um, let's see what, if Jordan White can be a starter. Let's see if committers is maybe better on the left or on the right or le- than left. Let's see if Nestor is better on the left than the right. Let's see if, you know, any one of these guys, can they do something there? I'm not saying 50-50 split, but I play him more. Um, and then receiver, Prather only really played when and because Wheaton wasn't available in the first quarter. I would probably try to do something with Prather just to see what he has. If he's got juice, do it. Um, the only other juice guy on the offense, and he's played basically no snaps of meaning meaningful value this year, is Sam Brown. Uh, I would see what he could do because like this offense needs juice It doesn't have game breakers um i don't know who you play in the backfield besides Letty brown and justin johnson um has some has some pop when he runs he's not a run blocker tony mathis i don't know if they just completely whiffed on their evaluation of him this year or if he is still hurt but he has not been a player and a various sparrow is still kind of undercooked so i mean maybe you play sparrow to see what he can do and maybe you play Mathis to see if he can get on track but you're taking away from Letty brown if you're trying to simplify things in your run game um, you, you also simplify things by just keeping lady brown there as much as you can oh and the quarterback i changed quarterbacks
1: <laughs> you really buried the lead there um.
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: I am, one, yes, change quarterbacks. Two, um, love the idea of simplifying the playbook. Um, I'm about to give my flag football seven-year-old coaching uh, take here. So go ahead and prep your jokes, everybody that's listening, about how mm. that's that's just not you it's not relatable, but it, it kind of is. I, I think we for the first few games of our season couldn't score, couldn't score at all. Couldn't get the offense going. The guy that was calling the plays was calling all sorts of different stuff. It it was different different styles, different formations, different pass plays, all this stuff. And we're talking seven-year-olds here. And I don't want to say that this team is like the seven year olds, but at the fourth or fifth game of the year, I switched it up, and I we switched it up, and I took over the play calling. And I went to the same formation with the same play: a split back with a wing back, split backfield, two two running backs in the backfield with a wing back, split backs. Just did an X, wing back came around afterwards for an end around, and then the guy snapping the ball who is an eligible receiver because it's five on five goes out for a pass. Same thing, just option one, option two, option three, option four. Over and over and over again, change up which option, scored 42 points the next game. I'm not saying that's how simple it is in college football, but I think that's an approach that West Virginia needs to take. I think they need to trim down this playbook, stop trying to do a bunch of random stuff. It it goes back to my top us analogy mm-hmm. for, for this offense where they're doing random things. Because I kind of like the read option part when they do it, Granted, I like it a lot more when they have Garrett Green in there, but I think if you kind of do almost the same play, just like you were talking about how Baylor basically runs the same plays and they just dress it up in different ways and do different you know, different options off of it, you you have choices of which way you want to go. I think West Virginia needs to do that. I think they need to do that with Garrett Green. I've <clears throat> been saying that since week one. Um, he just opens up the offense that much more. And the offensive line, it has to change. I I don't know the answer to that. I do not know the answer to that. I would be the first to admit it, but we're in that zone of the what do they call it, the definition of insanity where you do the same thing over and over and over and over again and you look at even Neil Brown said afterwards that the right side of the line was being beat in one-on-ones over and over and over and over again and there were no changes. I mean, Jordan White swapped in there for a few plays for Doug Nestor, but that was already happening. While he was still getting beat, because both of them got beat on Saturday. Um, Reference while Milam not really wanting to play him, but what about John Hughes? What about moving somebody else over there? Uh, you got guys that have experience, and you look at the snaps on the offensive line, it's the same five guys. It is the same five guys. I mean, you got uh, at left tackle, you got Hubbard's only got 44 snaps, all of them pointless, uh, or not pointless, excuse me. It's a harsh word, but not meaningful snaps. Yeah. Uh, James Gemitter, 379. Again, nobody else out of all of them. Uh, 386 for Fraser. So you're talking 25 snaps at, at for or 12 snaps for Tyler Connolly. That's it uh, at right that guard. Jordan you got White actually. Was it Jordan White at center? Yeah. Yeah. Oh he yeah, I got him. well, I got him on here for some snaps, but no. Oh yeah, there it is. Eight is all he's got according to PFF. Okay. And then 12 for Connolly, and then right guard you know, it's mostly Doug Nesser again over 300 at right tackle. It's mostly Parker over 300. There are no changes. Like the offensive line has been bad from day one and there are no changes in, which is a disappointment because they have been recruiting that position as well as, as well as they could have the past couple of years. And I'm, I'm just stunned that other guys are not getting opportunities when the offensive line as a whole has been as bad as it was. Um, did you see my position group power rankings thing on Sunday? Very happy with number one. <laughs> are you now? Na- are you? <laughs> should we tell it? Should Should we say on on the air? Oh, I guess we're not live, but recording the joke about whether there should be a number one.
0: <laughs>
1: well, <yeah. laughs> go for it. yeah. <laughs> You asked me. So said we were deciding if we should instead of one A and one B, we should just go two A, two B, so that there's mm-hmm. there's no number one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and special teams, I put them third, but I mean they were seriously in contention for that discussion up there with defensive yeah. line and receiver. But I'm focused on the end here. The number ten was offensive line. If you look at the the sixteen of I mean, the sixteen players on offense have played at least a hundred snaps, and six of the bottom seven rated players on that list are offensive linemen and the seventh offensive lineman is doug nestor who's graded out a little higher by pff but in case you haven't noticed has been benched at times in the past couple of weeks so i don't that's not you know a resounding endorsement there of this offensive line for west virginia i believe he's watched more than he's played the last
0: two weeks if not it's close um i don't know what happened there and the thing with the offensive line as you mentioned they've they recruited it well um i've i thought to somebody who is, has watched this this year and and is i i mean is in the conference so um they don't think that West Virginia's offensive linemen stink It's just that like they haven't played well this year and like which is odd because it's been the consistent group together so that whole thing about familiarity chemistry camaraderie that probably should be there now and communication um just the way that they get when they get beat by twists and stunts and and just don't communicate and trade things very well. you're getting free runs through, I mean, again, on the right side, especially, but you're getting free runs quite a bit, whether it's around the corner or through a gap. Um, if that's all you got to do to get pressure on West Virginia. you don't have to be exotic with your blitzing. I don't I don't think Baylor blitzed more than more than five very often. And when I say more than five, it's like you know there are three four in the box in the line and maybe one or two, maybe two guys after it. so they're they're pretty much in a generic pressure, but just you know strain stunt twist something like that and that got it going on um i don't know what the deal is at nestor i mean he was he had good grades he was a quality player playing with one hand is is problematic but that hasn't been for a while and the one guy who's paying the price right now in the form of playing time is him and his performance has probably earned that too but have the other guys been so much better that they do not come off the
1: field i would have a hard time saying that's true i'm with you on that i Somebody asked in the in, in this mailbag, sorry, there were 40 some questions by the time we we're recording this, and it, it stuck out to me. Should we put the uh cast back? Put here, it is one lost no. year. Should they put the club back on Nestor's <laughs> arm and hand because he seemed like he played better with it? I can't say you're wrong that I think he did play better with it, but no. Speaking um, of bearing the league, Chris,
0: what you score 42? Yeah. Gave up 60.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, we did. We had yeah. terrible tackling. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. Um, let's see. Where was that other question? Here we go. All right. Hey, speaking of the position group power rankings, um, from Swag Ear, this is slightly different, not the position group power rankings, but position group progression rankings. Um, yes, he asked us to rank each one, but I'm going to just ask you which position group is progressing progressing not performing but you know where they started where they're at now the best and the worst one for each so far under neil brown oh across three years yeah yeah well okay let's do this year and then if you think your answer is different over three years tell me all right this year definitely i've been pretty happy with
0: the way the receivers have played and progressed absolutely did not have high hopes for them just based on the fact that i just think at, at that position sometimes you just kind of are who you are um, but they've been better. The Sam James comeback has been really good. Winston Wright should have better numbers than he does. I'm not sure that the offense doesn't always work for him. Bryce Ford Wheaton had a nice game. Uh, when healthy, Sean Ryan has been productive. Isaiah Esdale has been used finally. The thing with him before is his usage. So they they found ways to get guys in spots where they're good at things. It's better than I thought it was going to be. It's hard after that, though. Like, what position has gotten better? Like, you mentioned the defensive line being the best group. Yeah, I would agree from game one to six. I don't think it's improved the most within the season. So that would be, I don't know. And then across three years, this is weird. I still feel like, this is not the answer, but I still feel like their offensive line is in a much better position than it was when he got here. Um so that's that's a that's a hard one to answer too because I don't I don't see great progress anywhere. But the one that I do note being different because they're bigger, they're better, they have more talent would be offensive line. But what did we just talk about? How their offensive line hasn't been especially good. So it's hard to give you an answer there. Um, I thought they inherited good situations on defense. Like their defensive line was all right when they got here. That wasn't a problem, and they were able to do some things to their back end to make it better. But um, the the fact that there isn't a conclusive answer that that three-year question is probably a good answer and I'm struggling to give you like a no doubt about it good is relative here (laughs) so I mean really what's the one we probably agree on receiver being the most improved this year sure but what's the most what's the proper answer for 2019 through halfway through 2021 you know there's some competition there Uh, the offensive line doesn't seem like the right answer but I think you can make an argument defensive line has probably been the best group across two and a half seasons but it really did start in a good situation. But some of the additions, they made have been worthwhile too. So I, I give them credit for that. It might be my answer because I don't think that – you can't say linebackers great. You can't say secondary is great or even the specific positions of like safety and corner are great relative to where they were a couple years ago. So that's that's a really tricky one to answer. It's, that's probably the point of the question too.
1: Yeah, I think even if, if you go with the three-year thing, I'm, I'm still leaning towards defensive line just because I think they – I mean, you bring in key Mesador out of high school and turn him into – I mean, I know he had the ability, but they've really done some good work with him. Uh, Darius Stills was, was a player. I don't know if he was as good as, you know, everybody thought before, you know, playing in this scheme with these coaches. Again, you know, some of that goes back to – the credit goes back to the previous staff. Some of it goes to this one. Um, Jordan Jefferson, who – isn't playing that much, but has played pretty well. Sean Martin's developing a little bit. Uh, I, I'm looking at relative to, say, their rankings coming out of high school to their production on the field over three years. I feel like defensive line for the three year question has been the best. And yeah, I'm with you on the the one year thing for wide receiver and, This was a big reason why I told everybody to kind of hold their horses on the Jared Parker hate uh, last year. You know, there's a lot of questions about that and uh, he he needs to be fired. He needs to go replace him. And it was it was why, you know, I don't think he's calling the plays. So you can't blame the offensive play calling on him and the receivers. He showed up and immediately, you know, spring football is getting canceled. All summer workouts are getting canceled. All that off-season work you do with your receivers and the rhythm you build with your quarterback canceled, um, and then he gets thrust into the season with guys that he barely knows and has to go through a whole year. Now, a lot of people were going through that, but the other coaches on the staff had already built a relationship, recruited these guys, coached these guys before that. So I thought it was a little harsh to be so bad down on Parker after last year. I wanted to see what he could do this year. And, again, I don't know how much he's involved in the actual – offensive scheme and play calling. But as far as the receivers go, he seems to be, you know, helping them turn the corner there. So I think that's a positive for him. Um, Did you give an answer for worst case, worst, worst progression or least progression or regression? Well, quarterback
0: would be one because they they Mm -hmm. haven't gotten it right. They've used a transfer portal. They haven't developed a backup this year that I think they wanted to, um, and then offensive line, which might have been my answer for the most, it's it's in a far better situation than it was three years ago. And it may be more about 2022, 2023, because these guys could all be here and all be old together. But um, I, I did think it's that, that does factor into it being a better situation. But, I, I mean, they're not better. <laughs> they're not conclusively better or a little bit better than they were two years ago. So that's hard to answer. Uh, my, my I just can't get past the quarterback. If you can't get that right in college football, in year three when you've had a guy for all three seasons, I just wonder, like, if, if there is even an option for another answer there. You can you can pick apart things. You know, they don't have great depth in secondary, and they had these guys for a couple of years, so maybe they should be more. But they they also, you know, haven't been able to develop freshmen this year. But that doesn't mean it's worse because of three years. Um, I just I, I think that their 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 safety spots are worse off this year, in game six, than they were in year one. I'm not sure Daggy's gotten worse because I'm not sure he was so good to start this season, but I think if you look for three years, that would be my answer, quarterback.
1: It, it has to be quarterback, I think. I mean, offensive line is close, but I'm with you on quarterback. I to, to recap what has happened to quarterback since this staff arrived is they brought in Austin Kendall before they even finished the spring, decided they needed another transfer, brought in Jarrett Daggy. Then stuck with the first one. Now, granted, there seemed to have been a little bit of injury uh, thing going on with Daigie at the time. Started Kendall, had issues there, didn't get the play that they were hoping for, switched to Daigie, got a little bit, then, you know, went back and forth, went with Daigie, did not get great quarterback play, had to go back to Kendall to try to just save the bowl game, then had to make the choice of Daigie or Kendall for this coming year. Chose Daigie, who has been meh. Again, I think it's very important that everybody realizes how bad the offensive line is and how much that's impacted him. I do not think he's been good. I do not think he's been a flaming can of hot garbage, as some people have said. I think he's just been meh. Um, Meanwhile, Austin Kendall went to Louisiana Tech and started, and they have not had an easy schedule. They played at Mississippi State, at NC State, and against uh, top 25-ranked SMU. And he has accounted, and he only played four of the five games. He has accounted for as many touchdowns in those four games as he did his entire time at West Virginia in 2019. He's and been an adventure he's He a right has been 60,
0: like sorry, he's right around 60 percent, eight yards of completion, uh, an attempt, ten touchdowns, five picks. But he's had a he's had one, 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 and two turnovers. But he's also had two, one, four, and three touchdowns. He's throwing in every game like. I'm happy for that guy. Like he's getting out there yeah. to play. He's in a fun system with a really good offensive coach, good schedule. So he's getting to test himself. Uh, they're not winning. I think they're two and three, I believe. And he I think he was hurt and missed the whole game. Yeah, he missed
1: one of the one of the five. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm look at that, North Texas—they won without him. Uh, but uh, he's just out there doing his thing and and liberated and playing and and, and like kind of shackles off as what that offense does. But uh, good for him. Yeah,
1: but that's and then. So you got that whole Kendall-Daigy debacle, bringing in two transfers, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and neither apparently being the answer. Uh, if you go 0-2 on QB transfers, that's not great. And then the first high school quarterback you bring in is uh, – wait, wait, they didn't – know they didn't bring in Chay-Lo. Um Sorry, I was about to say Chaylo. But then there's Garrett Green, and I mean, I don't – he could be great, but – the coaching the coach himself says that they don't feel confident putting him out there full time. And that's not a good sign. The guy that you recruited, um, it, it, you don't feel comfortable putting him out there. And then the two obviously the two transfers I already talked about. And so it has to be it, it's either quarterback or o line as far as the least progression during the three years. and I'm leaning quarterback just because of the importance. What about in this season? Uh, o line this this one season okay. uh, I'm leading the other line I mean they they, they brought in uh, Doug Nestor, who was great at Virginia Tech, and he's gotten worse every game so far this year, I feel like um, they don't seem to have answers for other issues they're having. They're not rotating anybody, not willing to play backups I just don't I don't think anybody's gotten better on that offensive line this year.'m still surprised by the safety play.
0: Just thought they'd be better yeah. back there. It hasn't been a disaster, but I feel like they've been involved in some some busts and some coverages. And I thought they I thought they'd be more active in you know against the run, better tacklers, they would create some more turnovers, whether or forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, interceptions, or PBUs that gets picked off, but they just haven't been the difference makers. And again, I go back to what they said. Like the next step for these guys to make this a even better defense is they have to make plays, not make tackles, make plays, and just haven't seen that. That's that's a challenge. But when you have that personnel, I think that you can you can comfortably make that challenge and expect some sort of a reward. And you haven't seen that. And it's harsh. I get that, but that's that's kind of the level of expectation that people have for those two six-year guys and for I guess we can count Scotty Young. And if you want to put the whole secondary in there, sure. But does um, the safeties? I'm surprised haven't been more impactful than they have been.
1: One more Debbie Downer question. Then we'll get mm. to something a little more fun. Uh, this one from WV Snids. This seemed unfathomable unfathomable not long ago, but now it is within the realm of possibility. What happens if WVU finishes two and 10 for the season? Would it be different if we finished three and nine with our only other win against Kansas?
0: Huh. So you're only playing a nine game se- or 11 game season, basically is that what we're saying? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, the answer is if West Virginia finishes two and 10 with a loss to Kansas, it is drastically different than three and nine with a win over Kansas. And that's not to say that three and nine is good, but losing to Kansas as the cherry on top for the final game of the season. Cool. Listen, Ooh. if
0: they go if they go two and ten and lose a home to Kansas, I don't think anything's off the table. Like that's I, that's that's ridiculous. You can't lose. That would be what, nine straight losses to end the season? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is it yeah. more than that? I thought it was more than that. It'd be nine losses to end the season because they were 2-1. and one. Yeah. So if you lose nine to end the season, that means that players quit, that you probably have a recruiting class falling apart, that you're finishing last in the conference um, with no conference wins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you lose nine in a row, yeah. Uh, I I would I would be worried if I was anybody with a paycheck there, if that happened for sure. Like that's That's a disaster, and... Listen, man. I know the I, I know what people saying about the buyout, and I'm not I'm not saying that they're going to or nor should they fire Brown. Don't I just I'm not even doing that, so don't say that. I'm not predicting this at all. But this whole thing about like the contract and the buyout, I I promise you that you don't offer the contract unless you can break the contract. And what I mean by that is you're not going to put these these buyouts in, for example, unless you're willing and able to pay them. And if you look at this and you're like, I have a bad situation right now and I gotta get out of it. You do it cost me darn, because if you have a mistake this year and you run it back and you do it again and you're the same situation or a similar situation last year, the person who didn't fire may get fired, too. You know, I'm not saying that like this is just I'm not saying it's a situation here, but like just in general, in college sports or sports, you see this where you get into a deal and you can't get out of it. And all of a sudden the finances and the logistics handcuff you, you get out of it when you have a chance to sometimes, too. And moreover, and this has become true, you you don't again, you don't offer a contract unless you can get out of the contract. And I don't think if they're scared to do something. If they get in a situation, they say this is bad um, that that happens kind of around the country now, too. like, oh, I can't believe they they can this coach after two years or after just one losing season when, you know, you know, sometimes, too. And and when you don't know, sometimes, you know. So I would I would not I would not be scared of that buyout figure. This goes two and ten um that I don't think that's going to be a thing and they say well we can't do anything they went 2 and 10 but we can't do anything of the contract i think that you have a conversation and you say all right that number is what it is but you know also it is what it is 2 and 10 and no big 12 wins that's that's a bigger number to me
1: yeah there's west virginia has some good accountants. there's always money yeah. there're always ways to find money in those types there if you go 2 and 10 and lose the kansas money will appear Mm-hmm. And, and not not for the right reasons, not for the fundraising reasons, but for other reasons. So, yeah.
0: in yeah. Uh, in contracts, you um, and this is this is legal speak, so I'm sorry, but like you you legally cannot put something in that prevents the other party from breaking the contract. So that's why buyouts are liquidated damages, and they say it's an agreed upon cost. It's not a penalty. It can't be punitive. Well, conversely an athletic director and a president are not going to put a number in that they cannot reach. Like they put that number in because they're comfortable with it. So if they feel like they have to fire the coach between this season and this season or next season and the season after whatever, that's, that's not an obstacle, the buyout, that's the cost of doing business. And it gets negotiated and there's mitigating language and all that stuff in there too. But like, it's not a deterrent if you cause again, if it can't be punitive to keep someone from breaking it, it also can't be stupid and, and, and a roadblock that keeps a party from breaking it, too. It's just the cost of doing business. It's the price tag that you agree to pay, too. So um, don't think that they can't or won't or shouldn't because of that. That's a situation you get yourself into. That's the number you're comfortable paying um, to get out of a bad deal. So this is way premature. I just think that if people are ever going to start talking about buyouts, they have to understand what those numbers are and why they're there and what they mean. Um, it's, it's the price tag. It's not a deterrent. It's just the price tag.
1: Next question from Jay Cart three o four. With Mike's MMA skills and CA's size and length, is there any combo of WVU sports writers that could take you guys in a tag team match? <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you want to address that one?
0: Huh? And, and, and a, like a like a traditional like sports entertainment. I don't know. It just says oh, no. either, Our tag team match. So Our charisma and popularity is off the charts. So we would be undefeated <laughs> there. I think we'd sell all the merch. Um, Trying to think of other tandems, like a lot of one man shops. I don't even know who the tandems are for some of these sites.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: well, that's a good question. No, the answer is no. We'd be all right. We would, we would probably yeah. run the
1: table. I think we'd be okay. I, th- I think the better question is. Can can my jab keep Mike far enough away that he doesn't start body shotting me if we went one on one? I mm. think that's that's the better question. That is my kryptonite, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, no, my, my, crypt, my kryptonite might be lasting more than one three minute round. So, oh okay. If we go more than one round, I think you might be all right. Now,
0: who turns on who first? Me on you, or you on me?
1: <laughs> I don't know. You keep taking more podcast shots on uh, on me, and we'll see. We'll he is a out. doctor.
0: <laughs> have to trust him.
1: All right. Hey, let's, let's finish with, uh, let's finish with a basketball question. All right. Let's, let's get our spirits up because again, by week for football, we will have football coverage. We will hear from Neil Brown. We will have our usual rundown of what's going on with football. Actually a little more, uh, well, not more, but different because we're going to do kind of a recap of what's happened so far, what's coming in PFF grades so far and so on and so forth. But We'll have some basketball stuff as well. So let's let's do this one. This is everyone's favorite. It always gets asked. We'll see if your answers change. But WVUG thirteen, projected starting five, Mike. What you got? All right. I'm
0: fascinated by this because the answer is gonna be indicative of how they're gonna play. I think. I'm not sure. Um I think that there's a, a bunch of ways they can throw lineups at you this year too. But there's also a good chance that they're gonna have some potent offense on the court the entire time, which is really fun, finally. Uh and I think they could be good defensively, but I don't know if they start three guards or two. I don't know if they start, you know, two big fours or or three big four words. So I'm very I'm very interested in this. But to answer the question, I'm going with Curry at point. McNeil at two, Bridges at three. And this is where things get interesting. I'm going to say probably Cottrell four, Polycat five. Now, Mike, where's Osiboyan? Mike, where's Taz Sherman? I know, I know, I know. Um, I could see maybe Osaboyan at the four or five. I think they're going to bring Sherman off the bench because if you look at those splits, McNeil's been good as a starter and Sherman's been good off the bench, and I don't think it really matters who starts. They're going to play a lot and probably play a lot together. Um, the thing that's interesting to me is the the Cottrell, Osoboyan, and then Polycap slash Kerrigan, how they split those minutes up. But that would be my five. Uh, Curry, McNeil, Bridges, Cottrell, Polycap.
1: I'm glad we have different answers. It would have okay. been a pretty boring last question if we would have had the same answer. Um, I think... Huggins is going to uh, you know shoot for the moon with the starting lineup. And I think it's going to be, you know, I think uh, uh, over the course of the game, they're gonna be swapping in Cottrell and Polycaps and Gabe and, and trying to get guys, and you won't see McNeil and Sherman on the court together all the time. But I think that maybe is where they start and it's some of the time on their rotation. So I'm going Curry, McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, and I'm going to go Gabe to start the season just because of loyalty from Huggins. I mean, I, I think maybe you go polycaps because everything I've heard so far about his performance and what he brings, how he kind of just bounces off the floor and can block everything. I'd really like to have him in there a lot. But I think to start the season, maybe he goes with Gabe out of loyalty. And, and because of everything that Gabe brings as well, it's not like Gabe's a, a dud. He's just a very uh, you know specific type of player. The one reason, another reason that I'm going with McNeil and Sherman both starting, and it was something that concerned me from that that first Zoom call with Bob Huggins was he doesn't have a point guard. And he kind of just said, you know, basically that Curry's not a point guard. And his hope was that all the guys are good enough at dribbling and good enough at passing that, you know, it will make up for the fact that he doesn't have a point guard. So it sounded to me like he's he's thinking three guards on the court will make up for the fact that he doesn't have a point guard on the court. So I'm going Curry, McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, and Gabe to start the year with polycaps, maybe, you know, getting some starts as the year goes on.
0: that lineup is very hard to guard because they're gonna spread you out and they could I mean they could really play five out. I know he said they'd probably play like four out, but still, you could play five out with a Savoyan and he's he's not going to catch the ball that's back to the basket. So you're going to have basically four flying around one when he does get the ball on the post or when he moves. And even if you take him out and you put a polycap in or, or I mean, I don't think you'll see Cottrell at five. Uh, maybe N'Jai can play some five. Kerrigan I haven't heard a whole lot about, to be honest with you. So we could throw him in there. But, I mean, again, you have a way to play like this four out or four around one, a whole bunch if that's what's good for him. Conversely, you could be big but still play, like, four out with Cottrell all the four. Or even, like, you could you could theoretically play Bridges at the four. So th- there's just a whole bunch of things that they can do to to make this, like, a, a an enterprising offense that is going to be difficult to match up against. The trouble is, and we know Huggins, I think he's going to lean toward what his best or better defensive lineups are. I wonder how much he fell in love with the offense and being able to outscore teams last year. And I wonder how much he he's willing to kind of stray from his, his roots a little bit. Because I think he's pretty tethered to being a defense first guy, but I think he saw what he was able to do last year and and thinks that it might be okay um to to do that and to get away from it a little bit. Uh two so let me ask you two revelations from that that conference call that I've listened to now. The point guard thing is very interesting to me in that they really don't have one. And but this would be probably a great spot for Jordan McCabe, right? Um but how big of an issue is that for how long? Because like Keetra Johnson's not a point guard. Curry, I thought was brought in to be a point guard or, or even have played point guard, but it sounds like he was just a two who had the ball in his hands a lot. And then also the fact that he said that they're going to miss Derek Culver, who was not good late in the season, but they're going to miss him more than they're going to miss Miles McBride. That was arresting to me. <laughs> Was it? You don't think so?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yes. I do. Like an NBA
0: player, and we're talking about how they don't have a point guard, right? Yeah. It mean, probably could have been their point guard for sure. And then, man, like Culver was – I mean, he was a problem. He was almost unplayable at times last season. But I am guess they're talking about his rebounding, and, and there was a toughness to him that you – I mean, that I think was kind of contagious a little bit. Maybe I don't have that now, but I also think that, like – it really gets them away from that style that again i'm talking about how, how far huggins may lean away from what he had been or what he's prone to do in the past i think if you have Culver there you're probably lean into it even more and this without him gets him further away i just i don't know i just he wasn't very good late last season for whatever personal reasons and i don't know how i don't know how you could assume he was going to be good and plugged in this year it's a tough one for me to yeah, answer yeah i, I, I was you.
1: being a little sorry i was being a little facetious there just cuz i when Huggins said that. I posted it on the board with a, oh my God, I can't believe you just said this. And there were actually a, lot, a a good number of people that were like, yeah, of course, of course we miss Culvermore. And this is why I was like, wait, w- huh? What? I don't know. I don't know about that. I
0: mean, they won't rebound as well, maybe, but I mean, if they can, I don't know. I don't know what Kerrigan can do or what Apollo cap can do or what, NJI can do yet because they haven't played a whole lot yet. Now, granted, are they gonna are they gonna rebound individually? like Culver, no, but perhaps collectively they all can scrap together enough to get I don't know, 14 rebounds a game or something like that. That might be good. Um, and again, if 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 you're not feeding, if those guys can't be offensive players and you're not feeding the ball and hoping him hoping that he can do something for possessions or weeks or months at a time, I don't know. You just kind of get that out of the way. So it sounds like we're in agreement and that we just didn't agree, but. I'm, I'm. Moreover, I'm curious to see how 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 accurate that is because I think he probably has a better idea about his team than I do.
1: Yep. I think
0: well. <laughs> maybe hey, we'll try to get we'll try to get some details about the scrimmage yet. Um, typically, those things flood out. I'm 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 surprised. I guess last question, Chris, are you surprised you haven't seen details of that yet? There's usually a box score from a dad or a reporter <laughs> or something out there, and we haven't seen anything yet. And I haven't seen really any from anywhere. And this is the big scrimmage weekend.
1: Yeah, I I haven't texted uh, Issa's dad to get the official box score Eight. printed and faxed to all the media um, this year, so uh, I don't know where that is. Again, we, we got confirmation all from all over the place that they were playing Schmaten, um potentially in Columbus, uh, but we'll see. I, I think you know it was it was supposed to be this weekend, like you said, and a lot of other teams are playing their secret screamers. Maybe maybe the NCAA is cracking down on that, you know. Start Whoa. slapping some risks for talking about these secret skimmages.
0: It's time to prioritize that.
1: Yeah. Anything else? That's it for now. Again, we'll, I'll, I'll take the rest of the questions. I'll write them out, um, have them up first thing in the morning. And then we got Neil Brown at lunchtime. So that should close down the week on, on Baylor. We don't have to talk about that game anymore after that, hopefully. Well, we will, because
0: I'm trying to get Texan game day done. I, uh, there, there's a very easy way for me to do it, and I was unable to do it because of uh, just complications. Um, I'm going to get to it. Chris, you were very upset because I know you look forward to this on Monday mornings. I don't know how uh, therapeutic it'll be on like Wednesday morning, but it, it might be Wednesday morning.
1: Ah, that'll be all right. I, I, I'm going to need some therapy, Mike, because I'm about to do the pumpkin patch and the apple orchard in the same day. Oh, so, a
0: little cider in there?
1: Pray for CA. Hey, I might be a lot of cider at the end. We'll have to see.
0: <laughs> if you know what I mean. And I do. <laughs> uh, well, until then, I'm Mike Cazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. I'll talk to you next time.